The Hoop Collective with Brian Windhorst focuses on life in and around the NBA and dives into the playoffs twice a week. Brian is joined by ESPN NBA insiders, including Tim Band McMahon and Tim Bontemps every Friday. That's the Hoop Collective. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, and it's also available on YouTube. And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast. It's Friday morning. The play-in is ending tonight with two really exciting games. And the NBA playoffs begin on Saturday, tomorrow, with four games. And it is time for what used to be our 8x8 annual tradition, where Coach David Thorpe of True Hoop and I give eight-minute previews of eight playoff series. Now, because of the play and really the only downside of the play-in, I don't think Adam Silver took into account the impact of the play-in on the 8x8 gimmick, which now has to be a 6x6 gimmick, and maybe nod to a couple other series. But we're going to go rapid fire, every playoff series, all the angles, all the X's and O's. Coach Thorpe, how are you? Are you ready to go? Are you ready for the playoffs? I'm as ready as I can ever be after uh, preparing for this and you know a few other things that I have to do. There's a... Uh... There's a lot to cover, a lot of scholarship to gain. And then, as, as you said before we started, you can throw some of it out once the games start. But a lot of it, we won't. Like, we know what we're getting in a lot of these series. We just don't know what the consequences will be because these are there's some great matchups. Yeah, it's going to be fun to talk about. Big picture, we got the Bucks who didn't quite tank into the third seed. They kind of just moonwalked. They kind of fell gently onto the pillow of the third seed, forcing the Celtics to effectively choose on the last day of the season between 2-7, likely Brooklyn, 4-5, a date with the Raptors in Toronto, and all that going to Canada entails. We got the Suns, who loom as the overall favorite, I think, to win the championship after a 64-win season. We got a whole lot of other stuff. But, Coach, as usual, I ranked the six series from most interesting to least interesting. I am a dictator. My rankings are based only on my own entertainment value. Nobody else's, no other factors. Can you guess which series I'm guessing topped your most entertaining list and my most entertaining list and our starting point for this six by six podcast? Yeah, there was never a doubt it's Philly, Toronto. And and maybe it would have been Philly anybody because to me, the heart, the, the story of James Harden, Joel Embiid, and the Sixers is, is maybe the most dramatic of anything. But the fact that it's Toronto and in Canada, their best defender won't be playing. Siakam is playing out of his mind. What's going to happen with Doc Rivers? What's going to happen with Harden and Embiid? Uh, how good are the Raptors without with, with a rookie playing point center forward, shooting guard, small forward? It's, uh, I can't wait for it to start. I think everyone feels the same way. This is the one. This is the one. And... Uh, everyone is saying, everyone and their mother, not just everyone, everyone and their mother and their uncle is saying that this is a nightmare matchup for the heavyweight star-laden Philadelphia 76ers who indeed lost two games to the Raptors uh, once they acquired James Harden. James Harden had 30 points combined in those two games on I think 9 of 24 shooting or something very bad. They kept him off the foul line. Uh, and we know conceptually why this is a nightmare matchup for Philly, right? Harden has not looked like Harden in quite a while now for any number of consistent games. And the Raptors are going to throw all of these freaking 6'8 long fast dudes at him. And he couldn't get by those guys one-on-one when they played. They're going to play the Harden and Embiid pick and roll in very interesting ways. I, I think they're going to just shut off Embiid in, in that action. 
They're not going to let Harden hit him with pocket passes. They're going to say, you're going to beat us with a drive or your shooters are going to beat us with threes. We're not letting you slip those pocket passes to Embiid, which are layups for him. And of course, they're going to double and triple and quadruple and throw the whole kitchen sink and refrigerator at Embiid in the post and force him to give up the ball. And they're a great defensive team in their own right. We can talk about rebounding and turnovers and how Toronto dominates the possession game night after night. But let me zoom out, coach. Well, first of all, let's let's start. Do you agree with all of that, that this is on paper for all those reasons and more that you can elaborate on a bad matchup for the Sixers? Well, I, I would even go a little further. It's not a great matchup for anyone. Toronto's just the way they played the second half of the season. Uh, to your point about the long defenders, here's the thing, Zach. When they don't give you the long defender, they give you one of the best under 6'3 defenders in the world in Fred Van Vliet. So it's not like you can take a playoff now that you know Van Vliet's on you and feel like, okay, we can score no matter what. They just uh, – Nick Nurse is truly innovative and empowered. I think that's a really important point. Uh, there are coaches who I believe would do more if they felt like, well, if it doesn't work out, I'm not going to get fired. Well, Nick Nurse is not worried about where his next paycheck coming from. I don't know where it will be Toronto. Everyone wants him all the time. He's good enough to go in any job that's open and someone have to you know use a, a traffic or two to get him. So he is empowered. I was going to say, I would, I would love to be, I would love to be Masai Ujiri and get the call from the Lakers. Be yeah. Like, hey, we want Nick Nurse as coach. All right. So, f- how many unprotected picks do you have? <laughs> oh, that's not enough. Um, right. How about AD? How about can we get AD right. from you? Like, okay. Yeah, that's so. So imagine being Nick Nurse. There's nothing you can't try, and it, not that the Sixers don't have good players. Of course they do, and they've got some shooters, but. Uh, you can really try to be innovative to bother Joel Embiid. You can try different things. You can adjust on the fly. Have no worries about what is the press going to say. They're all in love with Nick Nurse. So, for all those reasons, and here's the other thing, and I think this is the most important thing. Uh, Joel Embiid, when he's fit and and not tired, he's unguardable. I don't care how many guys they put on him, but the the Raptors can impact the pace of these games and try to wear him down. And when you watch Joel in fourth quarters against Toronto, he tiptoes a lot, which all big men do when they're a little fatigued. That doesn't work against that team because their standing reaches are all about the same. They have six, eight guys the same standing reaches, Joel Embiid, when he can't jump anymore. So that's the thing is as you get into the series, where is Embiid's fitness levels going to be? And then, of course, as you said with Harden, uh, it's not that he isn't great, Zach. He's not consistently elite. And I think that's what the Sixers hoped he would be. And we just haven't seen it. And by the way, it it really is true that he has all the pressure in the world on him. He made this happen. I've heard you talk about it on on other pods of yours. Uh, This is what he wanted. Well, this is what you got, buddy. And now you got the Raptors with all those defenders. And you better show. Joel's going to show. I I don't know if James is. And actually, I'm, I'm not betting that he will. I'm not betting he'll be great long enough. Well, let's just... Not beat around the bush. If James Harden is the second best player in the series, the Sixers are winning this series. Correct. Exactly if Pascal Siakam or or Fred Van Vliet or somebody else is the second best player in the series, the Raptors are winning this series. And James Harden saying there is no pressure on him. I actually, I wonder if on some level he believes that. Like, I just don't think he even cares that he's like 2 of 11 with 9 turnovers in every major elimination game of his career. And obviously, I'm exaggerating for effect. (laughs) I wonder if – I don't think he even – I wonder if – he seems like he's wired. Like, I don't think he cares that there's all of this, like, tisking to him 
about, oh, you forced a trade. Now you got to show up. You forced a trade. I think James Harden on some level is like, I'm just going out and playing basketball. And if it works out, great. And if it doesn't work out, great. But also on another level, he's got to realize you did mope your way out of town two times. And the you, you chose this dude who is maybe the MVP of the league. I didn't vote for him, but I wouldn't blame anybody who did. I voted him second. Um, and you're supposed to be a top 10 offensive player of all time, not a top 10 player of all time, one of the all-time great offensive forces. That's who you are. Like, you do, you have this track record in big games. You got to show up. And I want to start, that's the first place I want to start because I agree with everything everyone is saying about Toronto and how it's a bad matchup for Philly and all the reasons why. And without Thibault, it it becomes even easier for Toronto, who is a bad half-court offense team. They need to score in transition. And I think they will in this series because Philly's attention to detail and transition defense is awful all the time. But their half-court offense is good. And the way they score is they have all these big guys, rangy guys, who are isolation players, post-up players, and they find Tyrese Maxey and Furkan Korkmaz, and Shake Milton, and say, go to town. And they say, Tobias Harris, you can't guard Pascal Siakam. We're going to run you through the ringer of pick and roll and all that. So, But the other place I want to start is this, Coach. For all the hullabaloo, including coming from a loudmouth like me, about how Harden hasn't looked right, Harden can't finish at the rim, if Harden can't get by Precious Achua, what are we even doing here? In 56 minutes against the Raptors, with Harden and Embiid on the floor, the Sixers are plus 31. Absolutely, completely train coming at your face dominant with those two guys on the floor. That's what they are for the season. They're plus 16 per 100 possessions. They're getting destroyed when it, one of those guys has to sit. And I think the reason that they're dominant like that, even with Harden in this state, is that that Harden and Bede pick and roll is just gifting Embiid easy bucket after easy bucket after easy bucket. And Embiid is creative enough to find ways to stay involved against that defense. And I look at that number, and I look at the days off between games, and I look at the layoff that Philly has had leading into this, and part of me wonders, are we all kind of overthinking this because – The Raptors are NBA nerds' favorite team. They play a unique style. Their coach is going to go with the freaking triangle in two and trapezoid in seven and hexagon in four, and we're all going to love it. And, like, if those two guys just play well, the Sixers are going to win. So are we not – like, what? what, when you hear that number, plus 31 in 56 minutes is a huge number, what does that do to your perception of this series? Maybe it does nothing. It really doesn't do much. They're an amazing duo. We know that. And uh, I think that in the regular season, if they're bleeding a little bit, Nick isn't doing anything quickly to stop it because it's the regular season for all the reasons that, that you know. In the postseason, I think he'll quickly, more quickly call timeout, change, change something. Uh, I, I, I keep thinking about the same thing. Uh, the Raptors are not a good half-court offensive team. And, uh, and Matisse Thibel won't be playing in potentially three games. And that suddenly the Raptors become a much better half-court offensive team when that guy's not playing. And now Philly, what are they going to do? Because that's a they're counting on being the better half-court team. And as the series goes on, if Toronto, I'm going to I'm going to learn a lot the first five minutes of Game One. If the Raptors are running on maids, meaning Sixers score, Toronto's out and going, which is not how they played all this year. That to me is signaling Joel, it's a marathon, and we're going to make you run. As many as many minutes as we can for what you just said, Zach, 
so that A, you're not quite as effective in games five, six, and seven when you're in. And then what are they going to do when you're not in? We've got to get to that because that's when we can really make some hay. We, we're going to lose the minutes Embiid and Harden play together probably. They've got to keep it close because I think they can route Philly potentially, obviously. We'll see what happens when those guys are resting. And if you want to take the chance of never resting them, good luck with that because an exhausted Embiid isn't any good either. You've got to get him some minutes. Uh, Boucher, the way he shot the ball late in the season, 38%, I think, last 10 games or so. The, the, the Raptors come up with some lineups where Joel's got to play the perimeter. He tries to guard Siakam on the perimeter and does a decent job. Not a great job, but a decent job. But that takes a toll too, Zach. That requires some energy. And then don't forget, it's easy. I think the two best teams in the league, and I, I say when they're front running, I don't mean that in a negative way, but when they're on top of you, Philly and Brooklyn, it's easy for them. But where is James Harden going to be mentally the first boo that comes in Philadelphia? And if you don't think a boo is potentially happening, well, maybe you know more than me because I think there's potential there if he is laying some eggs. And then let's see if he's not thinking about his legacy then. That'll be what's interesting to me if things don't go great in games one or two at some point. It actually raises an interesting dilemma where, so they've been amazing with the two of them on the floor. Yeah. They've been horrible with one of them on the floor. Horrible. Like, and not just against Toronto. With just Embiid, bad. With just Harden, bad. It raises an interesting dilemma. Like, all the smart basketball people for years and years, that stagger them, stagger, stagger. I wonder if you should just play them together for like 36 minutes a game and just pray to God I can survive the other 12 with like a random Maxi 3 and a random Tobias Harris 3 and Furkan Korkmaz and his beard hit a couple threes and then we just like limp to six minutes because Harden and DeAndre Jordan, it's been a disaster. Doc is not going to trust Paul Reed. You can say, let's go Niang at center and just shoot the hell out of it. You're going to bleed points. I don't think, like, I'm being extreme. They're not going to play them every second together. But I do wonder if he's going to err on, like, let's maximize their minutes together and just close our eyes and try to gut through the minutes that they sit. Let me me ask a simpler question. You mentioned Embiid's defense and and him guarding Siakam. He's going to guard different players in this series. Let's just zoom way out. Who do you think Toronto starts in this series? What is their starting five? Your options are your five best players, which is Van Vliet, Barnes, Anunoby, Trent, Siakam at center. Then you can bring Trent off the bench in option B and start Precious Achua at center. Or they've tried Kem Birch at center, which gives Joel a very easy place to guard. If you're Nick Nurse, which option do you go with and which option do you think he goes with? I'd probably, I'd probably start small right away. Uh, and see and again, the idea is to is it's a marathon and get into Joel, make him cover as much, make him always be accountable for space, meaning he's got to make a decision. Am I help? He, he is their rim protector. And so now every remember, uh, stress is not just physical stress. It's also mental and emotional stress. You have to get Joel uh, thinking about his coverages. What am I supposed to do? Make him. Uh, I focus energy, mental energy on the defensive side, knowing you can always, you're going to play Cam, you're going to play Precious, and you're going to play Chris Boucher. You're going to play all of them at some point. You can mix up when you do it, depending on who else is in the game for Philly. But I, I like the idea, if you're Toronto, of making Joel uh, compete on both ends every second he's on the court, hoping he gets tired in fourth quarters. And then in every every series, every game going forward, a little bit earlier, a little bit earlier, a little bit earlier. That's why it's also important that Toronto always stay connected, Zach. Quick timeouts, 
every eight or run timeout, six, one run timeout if you need to. Because if, if you let them get ahead a little bit and he gets rest there, that just that impacts future games too. Oh, and Korkmaz, I'm glad you mentioned him. He's a sneaky X factor because he's been shooting badly. He's a good shooter. It just hasn't been, gone great from this year. And I think they need him. He's an energetic guy, competitive guy. Uh, if, if you let Toronto, if Scotty Barnes is happy not to guard you. Let's face it. He wants to play center field. And so if, if you have a guy that isn't shooting well, Scotty is mucking things up. He's incredible. His feel is amazing. And he's long and strong and, and active and energetic. If Korkmaz is stroking it and Scotty has no one else to kind of hide off of, that takes away from Toronto's defense. I half expect Scotty Barnes in some of these games. He's roving so much. Like, you know what? I'm hungry. That guy in the second row has some popcorn. Let me just see if I can sneak out there and Nick Nurse won't even notice because this is just what I do. I would – I think I might start Achua and, and give myself size, speed, switchability on Harden, and sneakily, he shot 36 or 37% on threes this season, got more and more confident. He took one three – as a rookie, 0 for 1. And now he's like taking threes off the dribble. And that forces Embiid to guard him. And maybe he's going to be in the corner and I've got to run around a little bit more. I think Embiid will guard Scotty Barnes a lot in some lineups where Barnes is the worst shooter on the floor, including the one with Siakam at center. I'm really interested in that. And I'm most interested in just um, the turnover battle because Toronto is a great ball protection team and they force a ton of turnovers. Philly takes care of the ball really well on offense. Philly's got to dominate free throws, dominate free throws, because Toronto's an aggressive reaching team, and obviously Philly gets to the line all the time. And just the way they guard Harden and Embiid, two-man game, I think they've telegraphed it in previous games. They are just not going to let Harden hit Embiid with pocket passes. They're going to do everything to prevent that. And In fact, if you watch the most recent game, they had like a three- or four-minute stretch in the third quarter, I think, where they just let Harden go into yeah. the lane. Like the guy the guy guarding Embiid, it was Ken Birch, just like hugged Embiid. And Harden is expecting help there. And they're like, oh no, you just go. Like we'll help off everybody else. We're just not leaving Embiid. It was like very jarring and unusual and a Nick Nursey thing to do. I don't know who I'm picking in this series, but here's my gut pick right off the bat. I think I'm going to go Philly in seven. I just feel, it, I just feel that... The discussion of it has become so anti-Philly and pro-Toronto. And I see that plus 31 number. And I know they have the best player in the series. I I, I think it's going to be a very tough series. I'm, I guess I'm counting on the days off to help Harden look more like Harden with his burst. I think, I think I'm going Philly in seven. Yeah, I mean, I picked Toronto four days ago in six. And, and I, don't, I don't follow too many other people writing because I don't want to be influenced uh, I'll just I'll throw this one last thing, on, and then I know you want to move on. Um, Siakam, you you said at the beginning, if Harden's the second best player, Sixers, of course you're right. Uh, Siakam, I was really glad. I think I think I saw you put him on third team. He was on my third team. I don't have a vote. Uh, uh, he is a problem for Philly. He is a problem for them, especially when Thibault doesn't play. And I, I I can't discount that that they may have the second best player. Uh, in this thing, and and Philly is counting on them not doing it. Um, I just, I don't, I, it comes down to this. And I wrote this the other day. I don't trust Harden to be as good as he needs to be. I, I will tell you, he has some burst in him sometimes. There are times where I'm like, I, my jaw drops like, wow, he still has it. And then a minute later, it's not there. The pop isn't there. And maybe, I mean, you're not wrong about the rest thing, 
I think it's more of just he's been around a long time and he's going to have to guard too. Uh, they're all going to try to hide on Scotty. Good luck with that. He's cutting all the time. He's passing all the time. He's screening all the time and he'll go to the glass. Like he is relentless. He's 20. I mean, maybe, maybe just turned 21. I know it's close. That is a young cat that really knows how to play. If you want to hide on him, he's going to hurt you in other ways. And, and that, that's why I think Toronto has a great chance to pull the upset. I'm now I'm taking back my prediction. I feel I, now I feel less good about it. Just be, I don't know who's going to win this series. I have no idea. I have to pick somebody, and I'm nervous because I I my gut has said Toronto all along for all the reasons we're talking about. And the minute you start talking them up, I'm like, yeah, you know, that's kind of what I thought. It's close at, at first, and you know, and the and the Thibel stuff is is problematic, and and Philly is kind of like Utah East where. You mentioned front runner, the 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 dirty yeah. f word, front runner. Yeah. Like, they're the Utah of the East in that I can say all these nice things about Harden and Embiid and how complimentary they are. I just kind of want to know how they react when they get punched in the face because I know the Raptors are going to punch them, and I know the Raptors are not going to give a crap if you punch them back. They're just going to keep on punching, and that mentality difference worries me. I'm sticking Philly in seven. Let's move on. I'm, I just I need to just move on, Coach. My number two most entertaining series. This is so predictable for the Low Post Podcast that this would finish number two. The second seed Memphis Grizzlies against the number seven seed Minnesota Timberwolves in the Western Conference. The Wolves already kind of a sexy upset pick around the NBA Twitter streets. And you can see why on the surface. The regular season was a very even matchup and Minnesota outpointed Memphis in those games. Dylan Brooks missed all of them. We'll talk about why I think that actually matters more than might meet the eye. Um, Minnesota will get all the threes it can eat in in, in this series. Memphis gives up not an average number of threes, but Minnesota generated tons and tons of threes on offense and shot them well against Memphis. On the flip side, Minnesota's defense gives up tons of tons of threes, tons and tons of threes because they blitz and they trap and that John Morant's going to have to deal with that. And Memphis doesn't shoot threes. Memphis was 29th in three-point frequency. They don't have a lot of three-point shooting. And so sort of the biggest risk of Minnesota's defense is mitigated by the fact that Memphis just doesn't want to shoot threes. Memphis wants dunks and floaters. They're the floater kings of the NBA. So math, some math would appear to be on Minnesota's side, at least the shooting math, the rebounding math, not so much. I, I, I'm i just going to pivot to you by saying I actually uh, – I, I get all that. I still like Memphis in this series. I, I didn't – I don't feel nervous about it the way that I do about Philly, Toronto. We, we can talk about why I like Memphis in this series and what advantages I think they have. Uh, what's your big picture take? Uh, is this an upset threat, or do you also are you like me where I'm, I'm going? My pick is going to be Grizzlies in six. We'll say five and a half. I haven't thought about it that much, but I'll say Grizzlies in six. That's what I have. Um, we're publishing it today. I have Grizzlies in six, uh, and, and it was my second favorite series. So we're we're right on. Yeah, here. yeah. I really well. First of all, uh, a message to anyone listening: if you want to watch what. NBA games could be like if every coach had the ability to run the best stuff and had players willing to do it, this is the series for you. This is the X and O series where, yes, of course, you'll see Ja occasionally attack early, just using a screen or not even using a screen. Uh, same as D'Angelo pushing or Anthony Edwards, who does his own offense anytime he wants to. But you're going to see more false motion, more uh, weak side action, more get game, pick and roll into get game, get game into pick and roll post and, and post splits. 
you, you, these are if Brooklyn ran all season what these two teams run typically, they would have the best offense in the playoffs right now with Kyrie and KD. They don't. They play more AAU, ISO, we're just better than you kind of offense. So from a coaching perspective, this is why I had it in my number two series. Uh, to me, the big, well, first of all, I think it's a bit of a mismatch. Again, I have Memphis in six, so it's not like I think it's a blowout series. But on paper, where Minnesota is good, in most cases, Memphis is good at defending or attacking. I think the offensive rebounding is a major issue. Grizzlies are first in offensive yeah. rebounding, and the Timberwolves are 29th in defensive rebounding, right. and they just don't box out. They just don't right. box out. It's, it's the biggest It's the biggest weakness on their team yep. and one of the biggest strengths of the Grizzlies. That said, flip side, the Steven Adams thing, he's their best offensive rebounder, is really, really interesting to me because they had him – I was re-watching some film assuming – they would have Jaron Jackson Jr. guard Cat and Steven Adams guard Jared Vanderbilt. And the and the Grizzlies actually went the other way quite a bit and had Adams on Cat. Right. And I don't think Minnesota took advantage of that enough by picking and popping Cat and having him pump and drive and just use his speed in his shooting. I, I also expect Memphis to adjust that matchup pretty quickly in this series, if not from the opening tip. But just just for and giggles, um, the Grizzlies with Steven Adams on the floor against Minnesota were minus 45. With Steven Adams on the bench and Jaron Jackson at center, they were plus 12. How much does that hurt their offensive rebounding edge, though, if they have to pull Steven Adams a little earlier in these games? That's just an interesting kind of push and pull to me. But I agree with you. The rebounding is kind of like area number one to yeah. watch for. How serious is Minnesota really going to take this? Not, not that they're not going to take it seriously, but... Are they really committed to doing some of the nasty stuff that they're going to have to do, the unglamorous stuff, to beat a team that I think is a legitimate threat to win the West? I think Minnesota this season is where Memphis was last year. Uh, Memphis, I, I watched every game against Utah. They, they pulled the big upset in, in game one. And uh, they could never really quite capture. Dylan Brooks was unbelievable. Jaws unbelievable. But they were, they were a year away from, obviously, look where they are now. I, I think Minnesota is going to be terrific next year. They've got to go through some growing pains. It, the, the intensity, Pat Bev will be fine. He'll be at home like a pig in mud. He'll be very comfortable uh, in, in the in the uh, fight that goes on in the postseason. But the rest of them, I just don't know. I mean, you saw what the Clippers did. I think Cat's going to stand up better than what he did against the Clippers. I think he'll play better. He has no choice, really. I think this is best case scenario for Cat. I think he feels some pressure. The Clippers, we knew they were going to junk it up like that. Yeah. Took him out of the game. He yeah. he overfouled, which is one of his that he cannot get in foul trouble nope. in this series. Nor can Jaron Jackson Jr. By the way, who's very right. foul prone. And I feel like they won the game anyway. They're in. They're seventh. The pressure is going to be off. I think Cat's going to have a big series. Now I said that Cat was my breakout playoff player, uh, like last week on on uh, NBA Today. Yeah, uh, he almost broke the, his own team in the play-in game, so I kind of look like an idiot. But I feel like maybe I'm just projecting, but in my head, that's almost like the best-case scenario for Cat. Yeah. Like, the worst thing happened, his team won, yeah. pressure off, we're underdogs, let's just go play. I agree, and, I, and now flip it. I wrote this, too. It, uh, now Memphis has a target. It's much easier to be Memphis last year, to be Minnesota this year, from a from a burden standpoint. Memphis... 
uh, you're down 10 in the first quarter, you're down 10 in the third quarter at home in game one, or even if you win game one, and now you're faced with potentially losing game two. I, I, as a coach, I remember early on in my career how badly I handled those situations where we earned the top seed in a tournament, and I, and I changed. I felt the pressure. Uh, I, I don't think Chris Finch will feel that necessarily. I don't think Taylor Jenkins will feel that. I think some of the players on Memphis will. Those expectations will be up there. Uh, I'm very excited to see Cat guarding Jaron Jackson middle of the floor. J, 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 Triple J is not yet great at attacking downhill from 17 feet in the middle, but he's going to get opportunities to do it. And he needs to because, as you said, Cat is foul prone. And if you can draw some fouls that way, and you have to make Cat work on defense. Uh, on the flip side, one of the things I'm most proud of what Finch did this year is you could easily just let Cat be the eat off your shooting. You're talking about one of the best two or three big men shooters of all time. He surely projects to finish one or two, uh, but it'd be a mistake because he's also excellent inside. And even though Memphis is physical, they 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 do tend to foul some. Minnesota fouls more. Uh, you've got to let him get easy buckets, get to the free throw line. They run good actions for him. They don't just throw it in the post. No, they have him pinned down, then seal. Uh, the Sixers do the same thing with Embiid. They probably should do more. You can't just throw it to him because it's easy to see where the help is. And and then I think uh, letting him face up too is harder to double him when he's facing as opposed to when he's got his back to the basket. So that's going to be an interesting matchup uh, of chess of how to get Cat the ball in places where he can get down and score quickly versus when the double team is coming. I'm glad you brought that up because I forgot to mention that about Embiid against the Raptors. You could see Philly trying to get him touches at the nail and the Dirk spot in the middle of the floor for exactly that reason. Like, if you're going to swarm him, first of all, it's, he's going to come off a screen. It's going to be quick-hitting kind of touches. Yep. If you're going to swarm him, you're going to have to come from the sides where he can see it. But anyway, um, a, a couple other things. I'm First of all, I'm glad you mentioned Pat Beverly. I thought the entire, and I mean the entire discourse about how Minnesota over-celebrated the play-in tournament win with Pat Bev on the scorer's table, I thought all of it was stupid. Like, every every part of it. So, first of all, who cares if they over-celebrated? They have won. Sneaky Hembo got me on this with trivia this morning. The Wolves have won the least amount of playoff games of every franchise in the NBA currently. So, let them celebrate. It's sports. It's fun. Let them celebrate. On the flip side, we don't have to... We, including ESPN, the media, like, we can talk about the basketball instead of the lowest hanging fruit of, like, is it good or bad that Pat Beverly jumped on the score table? We can talk about Cat. We can talk about we can talk about the Clippers and the pressure. Like, we don't have to take the bait and talk about the dumbest possible topic, which then spawns the next cycle of stuff, which is just, like, all the people criticizing the Timberwolves for celebrating, you're wrong too. And all of a sudden, we've talked about everything but the basketball game. It was just like so dumb and so depressing. And by the way, it's so easy to opt out of that whole discussion as a consumer if you want to. Like, you don't have to be part of it either. Anyway, on to the next thing. A couple reasons for optimism for Memphis. I mentioned Minnesota's aggressive trapping defense and all that. Yeah. Morant is very comfortable with that. He'll split traps. He'll, he'll fake toward the pick to kind of bait the trap and then reject the pick and go the other way, and he's at the rim before you know it. He'll kick to his shooters on the side, and then there'll be two on the ball up high and a four on three that kind of starts at the wing. Like, Memphis knows how to do that. And I think the Dylan Brooks thing is a big deal because the Wolves hid D'Angelo Russell 
on Zaire Williams or John Conchar or whoever the third guy was in all the games Dylan Brooks missed. There's no safe hiding place for him anymore. And Dylan Brooks is obviously a good defender, a good scorer. I think that's a big deal. So I just, I, I get why Minnesota's kind of a sexy pick. I, I just don't see it. I'm going Grizz. Yeah, so one thing, remember I said at the beginning of this, um, where Minnesota excels, so does Memphis. So look at it this way. Memphis does turn the ball over more when John Morant's in the game. When he's not in the game, they just don't turn the ball over. They're one of the best teams in the league, and and I think uh, Ty Jones is top few in assist-to-turnover ratio. He's become one of the best, if not the best, most reliable backup point guard in the league. And so if you're Minnesota... Bench, bench edge, bench edge big time for Memphis. Huge, huge edge. If you're Minnesota, well, if Morant's in, yeah, we can trap a little more, but we got to deal with John Morant. When the rant's out, well, we don't get any any fast breaks, which we really thrive on that. So I think that's a huge advantage for Memphis. And I've been saying for weeks now, I am not one of these guys who don't doesn't think depth matters in the postseason. I've been watching it for 45, 46 years now. Guys tweak an ankle, hurt a knee, get get a, a Charlie Horse and get you know bumped in their thigh. They get in foul trouble. Like stuff happens in the postseason. No team is better prepared for that than Memphis. And don't forget. If their best player has to miss a quarter or a half or even all, all, most of a game or all of a game, no team is more confident they can handle that than the Memphis Grizzlies. They've been doing this for a while, and I've not missed a beat. So I, I think I add all those things up. Pat Bev's amazing. I, I'm th- thankful that you said what you said because I used to think you shouldn't celebrate until you win the last game, and then I grew up and realized most teams don't care. If It's, it's one thing if you're playing 12 hours later. They ain't playing 12 hours later. They're professional basketball players. They won't even think about one thing about what just happened. Bev will be ready. I, I celebrate. I celebrate. I celebrate when I beat my wife at ping pong. Okay, so like they can celebrate the playing game. Passion, drive, and patience—the formula for winning championships—is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate them both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's macy's.com slash gift finder. Let's move on. Back east, my number third most interesting series I think I'm more interested in it than you. The Boston Celtics, the number two seed, who became the 1996 Bulls at some point in the middle of this season, against the Brooklyn soap opera Nets 
of Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, uh, two fearsome, fearsome scores. Uh, Boston won their way into this matchup. The Nets, I think, still have the second best odds, according to Vegas, to win the entire Eastern Conference. Um, and so I guess would be considered by Vegas maybe slight favorites or toss up in this series. Um, well, I'll, I'll just I'll just kick it right to you. What do you see? Well, tell me if I'm wrong, but uh, I thought that uh, didn't KD say in a podcast recently when asked if you don't step on the line to beat to, you know, in the Milwaukee series and then lose ultimately game seven in overtime, are you guys winning the championship? And he and he said, like, no. I was playing 40-something minutes a game. I couldn't have kept that up. Well, why is that any different this year, Zach? Like, I think he knows. This is this to me, first of all, I have the Celtics winning in seven. So even though the, the series doesn't interest me as much initially, when I started watching all the games, I realized, you know, this thing's going to probably go seven because Robert Williams isn't playing. I, I, I feel like ultimately Durant knows this is not their year. It, it doesn't mean they can't win this series. Of course they can. But to do it every single series for 16 wins, Knowing how many minutes he has to play, I think he's a genius in basketball. He's just a seven-foot-tall athletic skill genius. I think he's done. I think he's played tic-tac-toe and realizes it ain't going to be this year. And that concerns me. That's why I say about front running. When they're up, you can't catch them. Like Utah, you can catch up to. You can't, you can't typically come back from this team because Kyrie and KD are too much. They're two basketball wizards with the ball. They spread you out. We saw with, with I think, with Cleveland the other day. They spread you out. They get the ball in the middle. They get dunks and lobs and threes wide open. If you get up on them a little bit, I don't know, Zach, if they have the resolve defensively to stay in the fight. And you've got Marcus Smart leading the charge on the other end and Tatum and Brown. People forget they're excellent defenders, too. They're not just wing scorers, as you call them, predator wings. They're defensive guys, too. Horford still does it defensively. I wish Robert Williams was playing. Uh, I think it's going to be a great series competitive-wise, but I give the edge to the better team, and that's Boston. So what I've been saying about Brooklyn for months now is I I think, to your point about how it's sometimes it's just not your year, I think they have the talent to win any one series Agreed. in the Eastern Conference against the fellow heavyweights. Although I've said every time I would pick Milwaukee over them and I would pick Boston over them. But I think those are tough series. I think they, so I think they could win those series. I don't think they, I don't think I'd pick them. I don't think they would uh, win either one. But to win two or three in a row, you just gotta have lots of stuff clicking. And it's yep. not just the Simmons thing, which we'll talk about. You know how the Harden thing became the Simmons thing, and is he out? Is he coming back? It's Joe Harris isn't there. It's because Joe Harris isn't there. I've got to play three little guards at least some of the game and the Celtics are going to hunt those guys yep. viciously, even when there's only one or two of them on the floor, like in their current starting alignments, Seth Curry has to guard Jalen Brown. Like yep. if all else fails, I can throw Jalen Brown the ball or put him in kind of some two man action yep. with Jason Tatum or something. Um, it's that I just cut James Johnson, who was in my rotation yep. and I'm playing Kessler Edwards, a rookie who's good, but he looked like a deer in the headlights in the play in game against the Cavaliers. It just, like you, and then to draw this side of the bracket where you've got to go Boston, and if you beat Boston, you got to go Milwaukee. It's just a lot to ask out of a team with so many question marks. A team that's playing Durant and Irving forty-two minutes to like beat the Rockets in at the end of the regular season. So I think they're fearsome. They're plus twelve per one hundred possessions with Durant and Irving on the floor for the season. That's super encouraging yep. and super scary. Um, they've found something 
with this sort of, we start Bruce Brown and Andre Drummond as our two quote-unquote non-shooters, even though Bruce Brown is up to 40% from three this season, my boy Bruce Brown. And then off the bench, we go with Claxton and maybe another non-shooter or Kessler Edwards is now in the place of James Johnson. Bruce Brown and Claxton and Bruce Brown and Drummond are getting that little like Draymond lob to Kevon Looney thing going for themselves right now. Um, I am interested to see where Simmons fits into that if he takes the place of one of them or they go all in on shooting and just put Simmons as the only non-shooter on the floor. We'll see. But I just think it's just a lot to ask. This is a great Celtics team. They are gigantic on defense. They will put Marcus Smart on Kyrie Irving and Jason Tatum on Kevin Durant and say, go ahead, you know, go go at us. Like, you want to run your little inverted pick and rolls that usually target a little point guard and Kevin Durant can feast? Okay, we'll just switch and put Marcus Smart on him. I suspect you mentioned Time Lord. His absence is a big deal. We've talked a lot about how Time Lord – they, the, the Boston decision to put him on corner shooters changed yep. their entire season. Yep. In the regular season matchups, they put him on Bruce Brown and let him be a rover and put Horford on Andre Drummond and switched. And the Nets could deal with that in ways we'll talk about. I suspect they'll do that with Daniel Tice. Put Daniel Tice on Bruce Brown. Keep those defensive setups the same way. And there's just no weak spot really to pick at. I think the weakest spot, and you can take it from here with your coaching head, is just get Durant and Irving the ball against Horford or Tice if the Celtics are going to switch those actions. And I think sometimes the Celtics won't actually switch those actions and just let those guys go to work. And in those scenarios, the Celtics will say, okay, go to work. Uh, We're huge, and you have Bruce Brown and Andre Drummond on the floor. We're going to help off those guys and scrunch the floor and show you a wall, and you're going to have to make contested mid-range jumpers to beat us. And I just think it's going to be too hard. Any of that strike you? You know, I agree. But here's one reason why it's going to be too hard. On the other end, Boston doesn't play that way. Boston has a beautiful blend. Uh, I, I think of uh, um, Kevin Arnovitz's voice talking to you or at other friends or me, how, how we do, you know, he lovingly describes certain actions and the nuances and the angles. And with Boston, he's right. Uh, uh, I was watching Tatum and Brown tape this morning. Uh, uh, yes, of course they're going to pick on Seth Curry. Seth knows that's coming. He he probably feels it like a like an ant with a magnifying glass. He knows it's coming, and it's going to come, and it's going to be relentless. But it's also going to be textured. It's not just throw the ball to Jalen Brown, and get out of the way. That's what that's how Brooklyn plays offense. It's going to be multiple screens and get game into screens and 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 pin down seals against him. They're going to attack him from different levels at different levels, at different times, with different people. And I think Brooklyn defending that, and again, not just Seth Curry, of course, but all of it, with Tatum and Brown capable of scoring 30-plus in any of those games. And on the other end, basically run a pick and roll uh, or refuse a screen, let KD shoot a 26-footer over someone. Uh, that That is mentally taxing, too, because they're not going to be able to take plays off defensively. KD likes to roam. Boston will punish him for that for sure. And uh, yeah, Marcus Smart, we know what he can do. I, I wonder, to, to me, the most intriguing thing about guarding the Nets would be, do you, we call it jump switching, do you switch up into Durant and make him drive all the time? Uh, no, You would never do that against almost anyone else not named Steph Curry, and no ever seven-footer would you do that in since Dirk. And Durant's good enough to go by you, but that takes an energy too. And just keep making him attack. Don't let – he wants to shoot over you because it's shooting against air. He's back at home in the gym just shooting. 
So I like the idea of playing them sometimes. You just can't foul. That's the one scary thing. But jumping into his space is sometimes you'll foul. Try not to foul. Make him keep driving, especially going left. Uh, if he pulls up, just contest. Don't try to block it. Make it tough on him that way. Uh, I think I, I watched his body language, Zach. When he does LeBron sometimes, and when he sees a teammate do something silly, or when a teammate says something stupid in a press conference afterwards, and KD has got to say, "All right, guys, can we please not you know kick them and already get them fired up by saying they're not the same Rob Williams?" I looked; he looked frustrated, and sometimes he gets it on the court. We're like, "Hey." Do I have to do this too? The truth is he can be Superman every game. But over time, that takes a toll on defense especially. And that's where I think the Nets will lose a series. They just won't guard good enough consistently enough. Yeah, and when Durant does have the ball, they're they're gonna they're gonna mix it up. Like they'll sometimes sure. they won't switch, they'll play traditional right. pick and roll defense. Right. Sometimes they'll throw a hard trap at them. Uh and when they do overload the floor toward those guys, I mean Durant and Irving are maybe the two best guys in the whole world at playing in tight spaces and figuring it out. It's just it's just very hard work. The Celtics are also an elite, elite transition defense team, in part because they're so big and switchable, they don't have to worry about who's supposed to guard who. That's oh, my God, I'm supposed to guard that guy. Right. And the Nets are a great fast-breaking team, and I think the Celtics can take some of that away. Uh, just curious, um, the, if Simmons comes back, I'm not. I'm just not sure that changes my outlook enough because I don't know. I don't. I. I don't. I wouldn't start him if I were Steve Nash. I would bring him off the bench. I don't know how many minutes he's going to give me, but I'm just curious. I, I, I'm assuming that four fifths of the Nets' best lineup currently without Joe Harris are Kyrie Irving, Seth Curry, Kevin Durant, and Ben Simmons. And I'm asking you, Coach, who's the fifth guy in that lineup? Because your choices are between. Small guards and and great shooting small guards, some shakier shooters, maybe Kessler Edwards in between. Who do you pick in that fifth spot? Or a center. You could put a center, like a Drummond in that spot. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Maybe they would go center just because you need more rim protection. Um, uh, I I think, Zach, I'm not dodging your question, but I I think the Ben Simmons thing is, uh, I think he's going to probably end up being a net negative. He is going to be able to guard Tatum or Brown better uh, than what you'd probably expect because that's the easiest proposition when you first come back it, when you're when you're Ben Simmons. You're that kind of on-ball defender. Where I think he'll have his trouble is off-ball. Again, the Celtics don't play like the Nets. The Celtics run stuff. And, and if, I would think already the Celtics have a list on a sheet of paper with all their actions to put Simmons in off-ball, away from the ball, make him make quick decisions rapidly. They've not done it as a team all season with him. Target him. Don't target him on the ball. Target him off the ball and then eat off that. And then, and then where you play him offensively. He's never played with these guys before. This is a hard damn game, and it's the postseason. And the Celtics, without Robert Williams, are still very good. With them, they're monstrous. I, I, for Ben Simmons, I, I, made a, I wrote this. At, it'll come out later today. It's like not driving for a couple of years and then pulling into Manila or Rome and expecting to get around. Like you and I can figure it out. We drive every day. But if you don't, you're, you're going to be a little bit um, gun-shy in a sense. And I think Ben Simmons against this team with all those weapons is not going to be good off the ball defensively. And offensively, forget about it. Like, why would we think he's going to be great offensively? Uh, I, I don't know if he plays. Like, I, I think it, to me, they've talked – there's so much smoke. I don't see any fire. I think they're probably better off that he doesn't play. A month ago, play him, and he'd be fine. But I don't think you want to come in this series having not played at all and expect to be good. Interesting. I think the answer to my own question is Bruce Brown. 
The other thing I'm looking at is Nets became a sneaky good offensive rebounding team. And if Boston switches a lot, they risk having their small guys on Andre yeah. Drummond trying to box him out. But no team is better at getting that second switch behind the play and kicking Marcus yeah. Smart out if they need to kick Marcus Smart out or Peyton Pritchard out and putting a bigger guy onto Drummond. Yeah. Now, I'm going Celtics in six. They close it out in Barclays uh, in game six, and they get their revenge on Kyrie. Uh, my fourth-ranked one, which might have been higher if not for the news that Luka Doncic is going to miss game one, and him missing game one with a calf strain Gives me the heebie-jeebies. Is he going to miss game two? Is he going to miss game three? Is he going to be the same guy? Is the 4-5 series in the West between the rising Dallas Mavericks and the reeling Utah Jazz who went 23-24 and in their last 47 games. That's not very good. Um, they still have the third best point differential in the NBA despite that and the number one offense. And they appear to be the healthier team. Look, it sounds like a cop-out, but my prediction is going to be, was going to be Dallas in some amount of, long amount of games with Luka. Without Luka, I'm leaning toward Utah. Let's just sort of, for the sake of uh, ease, assume that he misses the first two games of the series. Games one or two, and then he comes back and he's like actual Luka. Like, if he's hobbled Luka, obviously that changes things. But it's just more fun to talk about this series as if these teams are in full at full strength. For most of it, um, this looks like an all-offense series. Neither team had any answers for the other team's offense uh, in the regular season matchups. Luka got the Mavs whatever they wanted, even against Gobert, except for a couple high-profile Gobert isolation stops of him late, I think in their second game in Utah. Uh, and the Jazz have the number one offense in the league and scored like gangbusters against the Mavericks. Um what what answers do you think either team might have defensively or sort of what's your what's your, just include Luca what's your big picture kind of take on the series it's it's how confident Luca is in his breaks he he you know now is probably the best in the world at least the best in our league at 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 going accelerating and breaking instantly and uh your calf muscles i i i work on that with our athletes all the time uh in the off season is break power and uh, your calves are involved in that. And if he doesn't have that kind of confidence, his game changes a lot. Uh, you know, the Jazz are incredible defending the paint for reasons we obviously know. Uh, but Luca doesn't care about that. You know, the game is going – Luca's like the flash. The game is everything in slow motion for him. And he, he really just wants to shoot a bunch of threes these days and is pretty good at it. Um, I feel like the Jazz got lucky. Last year they were so unlucky. Uh, uh, Zach, I think – I think you and I both agreed last year. They they were knowing that Denver had guys missing because I think they could have won the championship last year, and I know you do too. I thought Utah was winning the championship until Conley and and Donovan both got hurt. Donovan was a shell of himself in that series, and Conley missed some games when they when they lost to the Clippers. Uh, they were unlucky. They really were the best team, and I thought they'd be good for years. And now we're looking at the last. I mean, I've got agents telling me that that Rudy Gobert is in play. Like I have agents representing centers thinking that their, their player is going to be traded to Utah because they're actively looking. And so it, it, I believe it. I absolutely believe it. So this is their last go around. Uh, no one thinks Quinn's going back there next year. And and I think if Luca plays, they go down with a whimper. But now that he doesn't, it, we, we talked about belief and, and Katie's not believing. The Jazz might feel like we finally got a break and we, we can get by this series 
And then we'll see what happens. And if they break us up, they break us up. But let's go out on top. It's good for all of our careers and our values if we can find ways to win series. Uh, uh, they, they, Dallas, is, you tell me, Zach, is Dallas a playoff team if Luka isn't at full strength all year? I don't think so. As well, good as Spencer's been, I, I've, I don't think I've, a playoff team. I've seen some analysis that, well, they can, let's just say Luka misses four, this is this is analysis, like, I've, yeah. let's say he misses four games and he's 80% when he comes back. Well, I still think, this is what I've read, I don't believe this, I yeah. still think Dallas can win this series because they have Jalen Brunson and Spencer Dinwiddie, who are no good way. point guards. I totally disagree with that. Me too. I, I think part of the reason Jalen Brunson and Spencer Dinwiddie have looked awesome in Dallas is because they're playing with Luka Doncic, who gets the best defensive player on him every game, all the focus of the defense. And yeah, I'll go kick it to Spencer Dinwiddie on the wing, who gets to essentially be a catch-and-go guy who plays point guard sometimes. Like, those guys are good players. Jalen Brunson's going to get a lot of money this summer, and he'll deserve it. It's a different game being the number one guy against playoff defenses. And by the way, Mavericks fans should know that because they've seen what's happened to Jalen Brunson in past playoff series. It's gotten a lot harder for him. His size yeah. becomes a bigger issue. So I totally disagree with that. I think if Luka, if Luka played no games in this series, I think the Jazz, it's, it's a runaway yep. for the Jazz. If he plays half the series at 80%, I think the Jazz win. If he misses the first two games, I think it's a coin flip because Dallas, I, I do think Dallas is a better team. I said before the season they were my sleeping giant in the Western Conference because Luka is just that good. They've had no answer for him defensively. I frankly have been surprised at how much they've put Gobert on Dwight Powell and Maxi Kleba instead of trying to hide him on Dorian Finney-Smith and stuff that they've done in the past. And the other, the, well, look, I'll get back to that in a second. I yeah. do think also, I kind of feel about Utah like I do about Philly in that the dialogue about them, and I've been part of it, has become so toxic and so focused on their flaws. And by the way, they have a lot of flaws. Like the chemistry hasn't been great. Quinn Snyder had his whole like monologue about how it's not fair to criticize us for blowing all these leads. And then like, what did they do? They shit the bed and blew another giant lead against Phoenix. Like they have blown a lot of leads. I'm sorry that every time you wobble in the fourth quarter, you lose. But the crazy thing is, in that 23 and 24 stretch, their net rating is like plus 3.3 per 100 possessions, which is like top eight in yeah. the NBA, which shows me that there is a good underlying machine here that just ru just stops working for two minutes or three minutes, and it costs them games that they should probably win. I still think if this team's healthy, they're really good. I, I am hearing little buzzes of um, like – trying to galvanize themselves with it's us against the world. You know, nobody believes in us. We all are kind of coming together for this this run that I kind of like. But as is the case with Philly, I kind of want to see how those vibes uh, subsist once you get hit in the face by a Luka Doncic barrage of step-back threes or something. Like, do you just melt away? So I don't really know what to do with this series. But I think, I think with Luka out game one, I have no choice but to pick the Jazz, and I actually don't feel that bad about it. Like I'm not sure that Dallas can stop the Jazz offense. I don't. I'm not sure the Jazz defense can really do much to Luca or the Mavs offense. But I don't know what Luca's going to look like. So we can talk about whatever advantages we think either team has. I, I think Utah is maybe in good shape here. I mean, if the, if Luca's playing, uh, it, it's it's 
it's bad for Utah in the sense that they own the paint, but Dallas doesn't care, like I said. But if Luka's not playing, well, that matters. They, they need to create easier baskets because no one else on the team can score like Luka can against the teeth of, a, of the defense, the strength of a defense. And so now Utah gets to flex their muscles. Uh, and uh, that that I've seen it in many postseasons where a team that a team that we didn't expect much from, or even in some cases expected little from, uh, found a way to kind of get galvanized in the word you use. It would be weird for it to be Utah, considering they're going to be blown apart, I think, in this offseason. But it wouldn't be unprecedented. They, 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 they were the best team a year ago. I think they screwed up last year a few different ways. I think they screwed up in the offseason. I, do, I don't think they're as well-managed as they used to be. Obviously, there's been a change in command there, and I think uh, it's not gone well. But lately, their bench has been playing better, and that matters. And I, I just know from experience that uh, any one win in the postseason can you – know, you, know you know in the Rocky movie – when Adrian says to Rocky, she whispers to him to get closer, and she says, win. And you hear that bell sound, right? I was a teenager in high school, and that, we listened to that for every – we watched it. It was the only videotape we had before every game we played, and I was a high school basketball player. And so any one win, Zach, for the Jazz can be that bell sound. Well, you don't worry about anything else but right now. And that's what the messaging should be is, guys, stop thinking about what other people are saying about next year or this summer – and let, we we have a chance to beat this team. They're not at full strength. And then let's see what happens from there. But let's focus on today. It can happen. If, we, if we're talking about them in round two, it's because Luka didn't play. So whatever. You don't apologize for wins. The Raptors still have a ring from no. uh, the no. year they won. Whatever. You no. win. Move on. Win and move on. But if Luka plays, I think they're going down in flames. Well, well plays, again, to highlight just, just how different it is with Luka, I mean, with Luka – you know, they spread you out and Gobert had to come up higher in the pick and roll yeah. and did pretty well coming up higher against yeah. Luca. But then you send help and he just picks you apart. He also will just go find Mike Conley, get a switch and post up Mike Conley. Luca's yeah. become a, a lethal post up yeah. player. And and the Mavs have a couple other I don't know if they're structural advantages, but like the things that the Jazz defense is really good at taking away. The Mavs really don't care about anyway. Right. So like the Jazz don't foul. The Mavs don't care about they don't get a lot of free throws. The Jazz don't give up offensive rebounds. The Mavs don't get offensive rebounds. Like a lot of the stuff that like the Jazz start these games up 5-0 because of these math advantages, Dallas just like doesn't use those advantages anyway. I will say an interesting Luka-related subplot is watching the film of the regular season games, I don't think any team made as much of a point of attacking Luka on defense as the Jazz did. Like they reoriented their entire offense to be like, okay, Donovan Mitchell has the ball. Where's Luca? Luca's hiding on Royce O'Neal. Come up, set a screen. We're putting Luca in every Bogdanovich, whoever it is. We're putting Luca in every action we can find to tire him out. And without him, I guess you just play normal offense. I just thought it was interesting because you always hear teams talk about, well, we got to make Luca work. We got to make Luca work. And then they don't end up doing it because Luca is on their worst offensive player and they just don't want that guy involved in ball screen actions. The Jazz were like, no, no, we're dragging you in wherever you are. And the other thing is, because they hid Luca on Royce O'Neal, there were quite a few possessions where Dallas had a small guard like Dinwiddie on Bogdanovich because they want Reggie Bullock and Dorian Finney-Smith splitting the Mitchell-Conley matchups between them. 
And I didn't think Utah did a good enough job of like leveraging that. Post him every once in a while. Put Bogdanovich in pick and rolls. He's a great, he's the second leading scorer on the team. So that's an interesting thing to watch. But the whole series to me swings on Luka. And and I know that's a cop-out. And given the information I have presently at 11.15 a.m. on Friday, I'm just going to say Jazz in six because they get game six at home. That'll be my pick, I guess. Eh. I'm with you. I'm, I'm in a bad mood we, about it. Yeah. I'm in a we'll bad see what mood happens about it. If he, if he comes back healthy, we'll see how far, how many games are down at that point. But uh, it could be a four-game sweep if Luka doesn't play. I mean, I don't think the Mavs are a playoff team without him. And, and I think they're, they're be- cable, like you said, about Brooklyn. They could beat anyone in any series if Luka's healthy. That's what happens when you have one of the best players in the world on your team and he's a primary ball handler. And he's a killer. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes! Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them. You name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream. Your team. Call 1 800 Direct TV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com, or just stop by. Series number five on my entertainment list. I'm surprised it ranks so low, considering it has maybe the two most fun players to watch in the entire NBA, and they're on opposite ends of the positional spectrum. These third-seeded Golden State Warriors against the six-seeded Denver Nuggets. Uh, the Nuggets obviously have been missing their second and third best players all season. The Warriors are reportedly expecting Stephen Curry to play in Game 1. He and Klay Thompson and Draymond Green have played all of 11 minutes together the entire season. Their prospective starting five has played one possession together the entire season, and it was when Draymond intentionally fouled to get out of the yeah. game when Klay Thompson came back, so it doesn't even really count. Um Look, we know how this series is going to look in lots of different ways. The Warriors are going to try to hurt Jokic on defense uh, by getting him involved in all sorts of ball screen actions, split actions, handoff actions. Some of that will be with Draymond at center. Some of it will be with Looney at center and a a little easier place for Jokic to hide. Um, They're going to play Curry, Clay, and Poole together, I think, more than they did in the regular season and just kind of let it ride on offense. Uh, and the Nuggets are going to play through Jokic and say, we think he can hurt Looney. And when you go small, we think he can really hurt Draymond and you're going to have to double and you're going to double from all different spots. And he's a great passer, this, that, and the other thing. To me, uh, I just, Denver's surrounding talent is just not nearly good enough for them to have a, a real chance to win this series. I've seen some people pick it in seven for the Warriors. Some people pick it in six. I think it could be five. That's no slight at Jokic. That's no slight at the Nuggets, who won the season series three to one. Draymond played none of those games, so I don't really care. Right. Um, I just think I just think at full health and something close to full throttle, the Warriors just have too much talent. And Perk and I have argued about this. He's worried about them rebuilding chemistry. I'm not. 
those three guys have played together so long in so many big games that I don't really think they really need any time. Poole has become like a mini Steph the way he runs around the floor. Um, and they know what their rotation is going to be. Their first three off the bench will be Poole, Iguodala, and Otto Porter. We'll see if Kaminga plays at all. I just, I just don't see a, a roadmap for Denver, even though Jokic... Interestingly, Jokic had a monstrous regular season overall, and against the Warriors, he averaged 28, 16, and 9, which is like, okay. And they were plus 19 with Jokic on the floor, Denver was, minus 19 when he was on the bench. It was an even series overall. So I just, despite that they won the Jokic minutes, I, I don't see a roadmap for Denver. Do you see a roadmap for Denver? Yeah, only if, if Curry just can't go, just like we said with Luka. And, and as you said, uh, they were plus 19, but Draymond played none of those games. So that's weird, but he didn't, I think he missed all four. Um, I feel like uh, Looney and, and Draymond, first of all, I'm the president of the Kevon Looney fan club. Uh, he's one of the rare guys that can actually guard almost anyone, just doesn't look it. Uh, a couple years ago, he doesn't, ago do, he doesn't do a bad, he doesn't do a bad job on Jokic. Like they're going to no. send help. But sometimes it's going to be like half help and digs. They're they're not. Sometimes they'll hard double, but yeah. sometimes they're going to kind of trust him to just make it tough. At least force a twelve foot hook and not yeah. a layup. It's exactly right. A little right hand hook, he'll shoot. He's big and strong. Obviously, we know what Draymond can do defensively, and so that's going to. I think if you're where you said it about Denver's supporting cast, Golden State's mission is we just can't let Jokic have one of these 35 point 11 assists, you know, 19 rebound games. Uh, we got to just keep him to his averages and then they can't play with us. If Steph is healthy, I'm concerned about Steph's health. I I'm not a doctor. What do I know? So I, I have the Warriors winning in seven. If Steph can't really go a lot, I think they can win in five or six. If he can, uh, we know Denver's plucky. We know that they, it's their identity now in the postseason. They are not an easy out. They, they, they believe in a way, like I said, the Nets probably won't believe when things are going tough. That's what they're more comfortable when things aren't going going so well for them. And they have, in my opinion, the best player in the world and deserving of the sec, the, the, his second MVP. Uh, that scrappiness matters, I think. But uh, Golden State's Absolutely. speed makes a difference. Golden State's speed with, I mean, Poole, Poole is what I, I call Poole a unicorn. Most guys that fast can't shoot. It's very rare. He is super fast with the ball without, and he can really shoot. And he's done a great job developing him, Zach. His confidence, he's been so empowered. And, of course, Curry been out last year, certainly helped to push that along. The Warriors finished winning five straight. I also think Denver's got to make a choice because Clay can really just beat up those small guards they have, which means they've got to play Gordon more. But that comes at a cost, too. Because I don't think he can score against Aaron the way he can score against all those little guards. And Clay does it a different way. Clay just shoots over him. He gets to the spot that he wants, whether it's mid-range or paint shots, and just shoots jumpers over him. And he and he can really – they don't need him to score 30 every game. But he, he's got a 30-point game in him or two with all those little guys. And that's going to really force Denver to do something a little different. Uh, again, they've got two – I mean, Green's the best defensive player this year. He would have won the award easily had he played enough minutes. I think you would agree with that. He doesn't deserve it now. He missed too much. But he's back. And so between he and Kavan, it's just Jokic is going to have enough of a challenge. He's just not going to destroy them. And as long as Curry's okay, that Cuisinart, you know, you can't just slough off of Draymond and Looney. You can't do that. 
because they'll run their get game with with Poole and with Clay and with Steph, and now you can't help on on the guard. You've got to have that big attached to the screener. No team and no player has ever been better at leveraging people not paying attention to him than the Warriors and Draymond Green. For sure. And Looney's good at it too. Yeah. They suck you into the lane. They suck you away from those guys. And then, boom, it's a handoff for the greatest shooter that's ever played or maybe the second greatest shooter that's ever played. And you're just dead. And they're going to run Jokic through that kind of ringer all the time, and Jokic, by the way, has become a solid defender, and is is yeah, he's good. Is set, there's just no center who is equipped to deal with that all that well, um, including Demarcus Cousins, who I, I just don't know how they're going to play Demarcus Cousins in this series because it was just a bloodbath for him when when he was against the Warriors. Yeah, um, the, the, but the one thing I would say is, if you're looking how can Denver win, it would be destroying the Warriors on the glass when either Kavon or Draymond's out. I do think they're susceptible. There were some there were some games I watched this year and rewatched recently where the, where Golden State couldn't get a rebound. Like Denver was just playing volleyball with it. It looked like JV versus varsity on the glass. Uh, I I don't I think ultimately Golden State will fight. They're, this is a team that knows how to win. Uh, Denver is prone to turn the ball over. And if Golden State's back to being Golden State, their speed on defense and their intelligence, it's not just speed on the ground, it's also speed in their brains, their mind speed, uh, I think that's going to be a problem. Denver's going to throw the ball around and lose it. And you can't beat Golden State if they're getting runouts and running the Cuisinart in the half court. That, that's the, that, that double-barreled gun is a, is a problem for Denver, uh, which they know going in. They can't turn the ball over. Yeah, I just... It, the, the, there's certain you nailed a couple of the kind of mathematical advantages or whatever. Um, turnovers is one. Denver's 26th in turnover rate, i.e., like third or fifth, fifth worst in the NBA at turning the ball over. And the Warriors force a lot of turnovers. That's bad for Denver. The Warriors foul a lot. They actually ha- are 26th in opponent free throw rate. They've put guys guys on the line a lot. Denver doesn't get to the line. They're a bottom 10 free throw team. Can they even take advantage of that warrior weakness? Um, The Warriors, God bless the Warriors. They still throw the goddamn ball around the floor all the time. (laughs) Steph is still going to give you one lefty behind the back pass to nobody every game. They're 29th in turnover rate on offense. Only the Rockets are worse. But guess what? Denver's 27th in forcing turnovers on defense. Like They're not going to be able to leverage that. And I think to your point – the Warriors know how to get enough rebounds when it really, really matters, and so I don't, I don't worry so much about Denver really exploiting them uh, on the glass. You want to hear a, a, just an absolutely crazy stat? Yeah, and I got one for you too. In 129 minutes with Curry, Poole, and Clay on the floor, the Warriors are plus 96. It's like, and last year with Poole, Curry, and Draymond on the floor, it was similar to that. It was like plus a million. There's a, there's a lot of evidence that Poole and Curry is really, really hard to deal with when they're surrounded by the right kinds of players, which makes me very interested in how much we see in this series and going forward, because I am assuming they win, Steph, Clay, Poole, Draymond, and whoever the fifth guy is. Is it Wiggins? Is it sometimes Iguodala? Is it sometimes Porter? And if we see those lineups, like, who is Jokic guarding? Is he guarding Draymond? And, and then at the center of all these actions, do they try and hide him on Wiggins? Do they try and hide him on Andre Porter? I don't know what you do. But those lineups are very, very powerful. And I will end by saying this, and you can take it from here. Yeah, I've said all year, I've never wavered. 
that the Warriors are the biggest threat to the Phoenix Suns in the Western Conference and have a chance to win the whole damn thing. Obviously, there have been a pile of ifs atop that. If Steph is healthy, if Draymond gets back from injury in time and looks like himself, if Clay is 90% of old Clay by the playoffs, if Andre Iguodala starts playing again and plays well and blah, blah, blah. I still believe all of that is true. And it looks to me like enough of those ifs are going to flip their way. Like Draymond looks fine. Clay, I've not really gotten the scrutiny or criticism he's taken for like hunting shots or this and that. Clay, to me, from day one has looked amazing considering what he's coming back from and is getting better and better every game. Steph will see, but the fact that he's practicing and scrimmaging and is optimistic to play game one makes me happy. I think this team is a championship threat. I was on them before the season started, hammering the over. I still think they're the biggest threat to Phoenix in the West. And this series, to me, Jokic is a problem all unto himself. But to me, this is almost like like an ideal. We're, we're clearly the better team. We have time to get our footing, hopefully not under like must-win elimination game kind of pressure. I think this is a potentially good starting point for a really dangerous team. I completely agree. Uh, uh, Steve Kerr and staff will scheme up a way to make sure no one but Jokic really gets off because you can't guard him. But to pick up on your comment, your, your stat, I got one for you, and we're on the same side here. So we know about the old famous death lineup for the Warriors. Uh, how's this lineup? Curry, Poole, Thompson, Wiggins, and Looney, plus 49 in 44 minutes. So without Green, that new death lineup can absolutely give them some spread until you bring Draymond back and really kill it. Like they, they've got multiple centers to play with those four. You've got amazing speed in Wiggins and Poole. Then you got the shooters in Steph and Clay. And then, of course, with Draymond as a facilitator defender, They've got they've got six different guys, so two different groups that I think really can finish games very very well. If Draymond's in foul trouble or whatever, Kavon can fill that gap. So I, I I've had Phoenix and Milwaukee all year. Uh, I used to have uh, Milwaukee being the champions at some point this year, maybe three months ago. I said yeah, I think Phoenix will win it, but I do agree the biggest challenge if they're healthy is because we know where Gold State can get. We saw it early this season for a long time. Forget about previous years. I think this is a perfect way for the Warriors to get healthy and get some momentum in a round two. And the winner of this year's least interesting (laughs) series award are the Milwaukee Bucks, the defending champs against the Chicago Bulls who were having a great season and then injuries just took it apart. And those injuries have spanned from Lonzo Ball to Alex Caruso to Pat Williams, who just came back, to Zach Levine dealing with some knee stuff toward the end of the season. They now have a negative point differential for the season. The Bucks are the Bucks. We know who the Bucks are. They barely have to travel for this series. They can take the train if they want. They can hop in an Uber. I don't know. They can just they can bike there if they really want to get adventurous. Um, I. They got no answer for Giannis. I don't even know who they're going to try to use on him. I don't know that it matters. The Bucks have Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton to put on Levine and DeRozan, and Giannis can do whatever the hell he wants. I don't really care. Um, I do, is there any? Can you sell me sell me on this one? I mean, I'm going to watch it. But can, can, can yeah. you sell me on? Can you sell me on uh, on the Bulls having any kind of chance here? The no, definitely not. The one the, I'll say two things. One is. Um... This is why they drafted Pat Williams. From my, my my son joined the team after Pat had already left, but I pay attention to those guys. This is why I, I mean, not to say he wasn't deserving anyway, but 
you better draft a gigantic monster forward like him when you've got Giannis 90 minutes away from you and, and not even maybe in his prime fully. Like this guy still can get better and has this year. Uh, but he's not ready. I mean, even if he's not, if he's healthy all year, he's not ready to stop Giannis. Giannis tries to, dunk, he always tries to dunk on teams. I, I, I've never seen him try to dunk more than what he does against the Bulls. It's just he knows no one can mess with him. He just tries to dunk everything. And the only thing I'm interested in, and this has nothing to do with who's going to win the game because it won't matter, but we know the Bucs don't care if you shoot your threes. And they really don't care if Vucevic shoots his threes. He shoots more threes against them than any team in the East. I want to see if he'll shoot 10 and a half. He, he gets five a game, which is 5.5. Dude, just do 10 and a half, and, and let's see what they do. I, I, I'd like to see Coach Donovan, a longtime friend of mine, just say, screw it. Like, we, we, DeRozan got a bunch of points against them, but they were blowout games. Like, it, it didn't even matter. The only chance we have is to make them do something different, and maybe maybe they'll put Giannis on him to guard the three if he's hitting them. Maybe they'll get Lopez out there. He doesn't want to go out there. Let's just get 23s a game from our center's position and see if we can't muck things up a little bit, but I don't think that's likely to happen. That's about it. So I, so I was searching for flights for August when you were talking about why this series is interesting. So I missed whatever you said. I assume it involved Benny the Bull and and his popcorn orgies that he has in the crowd. I, I didn't catch any of it. No, I, I, did, I did catch some of it. I do think that's the only interesting angle here is this is the all threes defense. Like Milwaukee's like above the break threes, unless you're a great right. shooter, have at it against a team that I think was last in three-point rate. doesn't even want above no. the break three. Like, I guess that's kind of interesting. You mentioned Vucevic. He just, you know, I, look, I'm, ro- I'm wrong about a lot of things. We all are going to be wrong about a lot of things. I admit when I'm wrong. Um, and it, it, all the time. Um, but I just remember when that Vucevic trade happened, there was a, a rush of Orlando angst. Like, that's all we got for Nikola Vucevic, our franchise player, and a rush of like, here come the Bulls, great move by AK and the new front office, they're charging. And obviously that move became a building block to other moves. But I remember feeling like, not on an island, but in the definite minority of, I kind of like this trade for Orlando. Like I think Wendell Carter Jr. is pretty good. They got two lightly protected first round picks. One of them turned into Franz Wagner. They still have another one coming. A year later, Vucevic shot... 31% 31% on threes. Now, 54% on twos is pretty good. 17 a game, 11 rebounds, still never gets to the foul line. Defensively, he's still meh. I think Orlando made out like a freaking bandit in that trade. Wendell Carter Jr. is on a fair deal. I just don't love – it's why I was not – I was just kind of lukewarm on the Bulls overall, and they ended up in a lukewarm place because of injuries. They're better than the team they've shown. I just think they gave up a lot. For guys around age 30 who are defensive liabilities and DeRozan's never going to have like a year like this again. And I said before, I said when the trade happened, do we think the Bulls win ever more than one playoff series in the in the sort of lifetime of DeRozan and Vucevic's um, time on the team? And I, I think I maybe would bet against that. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not sure really, but I was leaning against it. I've seen nothing to change, change that. So, But the Bulls... I, I also think they're getting upon too aggressively for their bad record against top teams because the injuries have factored into that. Right. They had something real going on with Lonzo and Caruso, and I would have liked to have seen it with Pat Williams. 
we're just not going to see all of that this season. Next season is a whole different entity. We'll see. I just think they got no shot in this series. I mean, do they get a game? Maybe. I just think the Bucks are going to roll them. Yeah, it's like the old Orlando-Milwaukee series where they might win the game one, and then that'll be it. I, I don't think it'll be competitive. And it's too bad. Vucevic series. That's a that Vucevic. You're you're drawing unwittingly drawing a Vucevic parallel from one right. series to the other. The the exactly. Orlando Orlando Magic were the kings of the game one upset four one yeah. loss that they did it like yeah. like clockwork. Yeah, it's not going to go well. Um, and I just talked to a Magic coach the other day. They're very happy about Wendell Carter Jr.'s progress. He's going to be a good player for them. So good. It, you know, Milwaukee can get a lot of rest for their guys. They got a they got a tough road from here. But round one won't be hard at all. Oh, Milwaukee, Boston, if that's what it ends up being. And hell, maybe Milwaukee, Brooklyn, if that is what it ends up being. I remember writing before that series even happened last year, Milwaukee, Brooklyn. This is, there's a chance this is the end. There's a good chance that this is the NBA Finals happening in the second round of the playoffs. And that could be the case again with Boston, Milwaukee, although I think. Miami, Philly, Phoenix, Warriors, yeah. Grizzlies, etc. will have a, a little bit more to say than the field did last year. Then we got the playing games tonight, Coach. You want to just give me one word, rapid fire, uh, who's going to win the playing games tonight? I kind of – I mean, if I knew Jared Allen was playing, I'd feel differently. But um, I, I, I think Atlanta's found enough. And um, I, I'm kind of pulling for the Pelicans. I just love what they're doing. Uh, I think Ty Lue's become one of our best one-game coaches in the league. He's a great all-around coach, but in any one game, he's like Nick Nurse. And so I, I would give L.A. the edge to that. Pelicans is happy to have won a game potentially, but with the way they play defense with Herb and Jose as rookies, and C.J.'s been unbelievable for them. Everything they needed from him. If Zion can't be excited about playing for them next year with, with B.I. as well, um, I question how much he loves basketball because they can be really good next year, Zach. I'm going Hawks, and there's something in my gut. It's been roiling around, been roiling around my gut. I picked the I picked the Timberwolves over the Clippers in the first playing game. I think we had fifteen to five picking the Clippers in that game. Everything says Clippers tonight. They're home. You just mentioned Ty Lue. Paul George has been rolling since he came back. Norm Powell's back. They're deeper. There's just something in my gut about those Pelicans. I'm taking the Pelicans to win in LA. I I just I don't even know why, other than I trust CJ in big games now. I mean, ask the yeah. Nuggets, ask the Nuggets about the 2019 yeah. playoffs in Game right. Seven in Denver. I just feel like they got a little they got a little thing going. I don't I I just like what I see when I watch them. I I don't think they feel any. I think they're under the perfect combination of like they're under pressure, but they don't feel pressure. They feel like urgency to seize an opportunity. It's like the perfect mindset. I think the Pelicans are – damn the torpedoes, Coach. I think the Pelicans are going into L.A. tonight and shocking the Clippers. It wouldn't be that much of a shock, but I'm going Pelicans. It'll be great. It'll be fun to watch. David Thorpe, you have a giant playoff preview up today on True Hoop. People should subscribe to True Hoop, get, the, get Coach Thorpe's X's and O's deep dives into all these playoff series. Buckle up. We got four games Saturday, four games Sunday. I'm going to need to go get some coffee, some refreshments, some snacks on hand. Uh, David Thorpe, I will be listening and reading your coverage for all of the playoffs. Um, We have made it. The postseason is here. Thank you so much for your insights, sir. Be safe in your travels covering the playoffs. I enjoyed it.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.